Have you ever heard of a book called, and I, th- I think it's called um, On the Beach? That sounds vaguely familiar. It's I don't really, beach. I don't really know anything about it. Uh, it was written during the Cold War, um, and it's about this like U.S. naval ship that's docked in Australia. Okay, and they explain it really well in the book that like a certain part of the world has basically like a, a nuclear war, and Australia is the last place that will be ruined because of currents and airflow and blah 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 hmm. so i i was excited to read this book because i thought it was gonna be like a thriller kind of really exciting um it's not it's not that they have to wait they can't go anywhere because if they go anywhere they'll be you know killed okay. by the radiation but it, they are waiting long enough that like the fear just becomes part of the regular life so they just oh, kind of like god they're like oh we have like a year and some change so we'll just you know mm. do some stuff <laughs> so i was thinking about that as i often do uh, <laughs> and then decided to watch plague dogs uh no 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 no. that's a different part of my brain that's fair okay um <laughs> the part that watches animals being tortured yeah you have mentioned you've been doing better lately so yeah yeah i've been i've been watching this movie we're covering today on like 15 different versions uh but <laughs> I was thinking, you know, on the beach, I if I had a year and a half, right? So, like, if, if you're like, oh, I find out the world's going to end in a couple of days, you're going to do stay stay hang out with your loved ones, drink, I don't know, fuck, whatever you whatever people human people do. Yeah. Um, I would regret not having enough time to like finish a thing. Yeah. Um, but if it was like a year and a half, you're like, oh, I have a year and a half to finish my project. Why? Because I want to. Because there's no everyone's going to die, but whatever. And then I stay awake at night thinking, what project would I finish with a <laughs> year left to live? Uh, and th- that is the question I, I open this episode with to you. So you're like, oh, huh. man, uh, we're, we are vacationing on Australia. Um, we're yeah. the last. And some bombs uh, done did go off yeah. and we sure are doomed eventually. Right. Right. But not yet. It's like there's not enough reason to freak out because we still got like a year and some change. Mm. See, mm. I have to assume that we've already edited American Curse. That's already. That happened. has to be done by that point, yeah. right? Like, I, because like also I don't want to spend the last year on Earth editing. So yeah. it's like now nah, we did it already. In this <laughs> hypothetical universe, we've already finished the movie. Yeah. God, I hope so by that point. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. I'd probably take up some kind of sculpture mm-hmm. and aim to aim to make it so that once once the whatever nuclear nonsense hits us, if it ends up being like another bomb or something that goes off, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to cast a real fun shadow for no one to ever see. Weird. We actually went in really opposite directions. Really? So you would build some kind of sculpture that would leave this like permanent mark, even if no one ever saw it. I would do, I would write and stage a play as something like finite so Hmm. that it would be gone forever, like people. 
completely different directions. Yeah. I'm s- weird. Huh. It feels like a really weird place to open the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to Drazzle, the podcast that takes award-winning... The podcast takes award-winning uh, worst pictures. What's I don't know happening? what... My teeth got in the way of my tongue. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. They're not normally right in front of it. They are... Yeah. Uh, they're extra animated today. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Drazzle. The podcast <laughs> takes award-winning worst pictures and fixes them. I'm host Jack Colbertson here to suffer alongside me as always. Also host Joe Nealis. Hey there. Oh boy. Uh, today, today it is my pleasure to present to you our audience with part one of Drazzle's Topsy Turvy Freaky Friday series. So through, throughout season two, Joe has been hosting what we've dubbed Development Hell episodes. A second uh, unit. Second unit dash Development Hell. Da- yeah. We have very long titles. That's right? true. We, it's, 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 not a, it's a very nebulous thing. <laughs> uh, within those episodes, he talks about movies with a particularly troubled production that usually never come to fruition. Yeah. Today, I'll be the hell who develops. <laughs> That means that our next episode, Joe will be playing the Jamie Lee Curtis to my Lindsay Lohan. Yes. Uh, and host a good old traditional drazzled episode. I'm glad I get to be Jamie Lee Curtis. I did that specifically for you. I was like, Thank I'll, you. I'll bite the bullet. On, you'll on be this you'll one. be the Lohan on this one. <laughs> Which like I'm feeling a little Lohan lately. That's fair. We we had a, ourselves a little drinky drink hangout. What was that, Friday? That was Friday, yeah. And I had a great time. It was a great what time. A it was a very good time. Mess. Just um, <laughs> well, I mean, when you when you have that much beer, a bunch of mezcal and cigars. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about the cigars. Yeah. How'd you forget about the cigars? The mezcal. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Right. The mezcal. I almost forgot about the mezcal. Uh, yeah. Uh, we we ended up having a conversation, I believe, towards the end of that night about art and artists and the meaning of art, which yes. I would. Don't remember, um, <laughs> but we'll bring up later in the episode as though I do. Sure. Uh, which brings us, doesn't really, but it, that brings <laughs> us to today's episode. I mean, to, where in, we, in a way. It's just as sad. Sure. <laughs> We're going to cover um, every artist's nightmare. Uh, the movie Arabian Night, a.k.a. The Cobbler and the Princess, a.k.a. Richard Williams' unfinished, almost masterpiece, the Thief and the Cobbler. Yes. What did you know about this film? Uh, not not a single thing. Okay. When, when you pitched this idea to me and you said, I want to talk about The Thief and the Cobbler, I went, great, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I had caught, I think it was actually the, the Miramax version on TV as a kid, like just playing some Sunday afternoon where nobody would catch it. Nice. Uh, and it was just a clip of The Thief pole vaulting. Towards the the golden spheres, yeah, good, uh, a good scene, which is great. Um, I do remember there being monologue, so it was. I'm pretty sure it was the Miramax version. Okay, but uh, and then later in college, I found it was just like the animation's cool. I like to learn about that, uh, and discovered the at the time longest still in production movie of all time, which would be The Thief and the Cobbler. So. There's a lot of history to it. It's baffling, uh, real sad, um, and a bit existential. All right. Fuck me up. Let's Um, go. This is not normally something we would do for the second unit, but uh, what do you think 
this is also really difficult because like there are four versions of this movie. Right. And the tomato meter doesn't differentiate. Oh, yeah, I guess it wouldn't, so, huh? Um, that, that, that's a, hmm. I wonder if that's something they should start doing, if they should have like different, uh, yeah. different uh, rating selections based on the cut. You know, because that would think, it, absolutely that would impact a lot of movies like Blade yeah. Runner and Blade Runner. I was thinking of the there's a several director's cuts that I, I like vastly changed the movie. Yeah, uh, including this one. Um, so mystery version. What would you say it has in the tomato meter? It's tough. There's a lot of different things to weigh here, especially if it's not distinguishing between different versions is I, I I do know based on something you just showed me before we started recording that certain versions have voices for characters where other versions don't I'm gonna guess tomato meter critics 45 close uh 56 56 yeah. okay so I, I was I was weighing on what side of that 50 percent I wanted to hit yeah Based on the numbers, I think they're probably going with the not Miramax cut. Okay. Uh, what would you say the audience score is? Audience score. Audiences are more forgiving, typically. And I did talk to somebody else, uh, uh, my friend Andrew, about this mm-hmm. uh, as well, because he is also a, a, a animation aficionado. And he was thrilled to hear that I had watched okay. this. Uh, he's very fond of the movie, even though he's never seen the version that I saw. We'll, um, we'll talk about that. Yeah. I'm going to say that fondness carries over. I'm going to say 70. 74. Oh, yeah, okay. Even close. better. Uh, and then IMDb out of 10. IMDb out of 10. IMDb is a f- fucking mystery. So... Generally a number I agree with, too. I am also a bit of a mystery. Mezcal. Six point nine. Seven point one. Okay, I was yeah, cl- yeah, okay. My joke answer was close. Yeah. Good. Uh so there are four versions of this film. Right. There is and I'm going to go by release order. Okay. Or or non release order. By by quote unquote finished order. Okay. So the first version is So th- this is a Richard Williams project. Like he he was the the constant throughout the entire process. So, right, right. Um, think of him. As, I mean, he is the director, but he's also basically had his hand up everyone's ass using them as a, a Muppet. Richard Williams is to this as Phil Tippett is to Mad God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he has his bootleg version, which is what they had finished at the time. Spoilers plus storyboards. Uh, then there is the Fr- Fred Calvert version, which is we'll get to it okay um and then there's the miramax version and then finally and this is the version that i had you watch this is the recobbled version this is the recobbled version yes and that is something we'll also get to but is i highly recommend that version over the other three yeah it's yeah that's the version that i watched i think you 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 described it as a quote unquote fan edit which I'm sure there's like further context to like quite a bit, yeah. Uh, so that, that so that is the uh, the TLDR explanation of what this is. Yes, uh, and I I enjoyed it thoroughly. If it was even maybe a bit bewildering at points. Uh, How did I describe it to you? Something like an art 
like a historical document. Yes, like it's, it's like an archival project, yeah. more or less. It's it's it, it's kind of spliced together with storyboards and sketches and unfinished animation cells to kind of flesh particular scenes out yes. in particular ways. And you would initially describe it to me as it being the closest to Richard Williams's original vision. Correct, or at least that's the intention behind the project. Yes. Um, so before we get into anything else. I'm going to give a really brief plot synopsis. Sure. Uh, and since this is because this is the second unit, I feel safe from the horses. They haven't found me here. They don't know to look for you here. Uh, no. Which which worries <laughs> me because now they're going to start finding me. They're going to start sniffing around for you. Uh, okay. So three magical golden balls sit atop a minaret at the center of Golden City. There's a prophecy that. Should they be removed, destruction and death will rain down upon the kingdom. Only the simplest soul with the smallest and simplest of things would be able to save Golden City when that happens. That would be Tack and his Tack. Yes. Tack is the titular cobbler. Mm -hmm. uh, the secondary, but only just barely secondary plot is led by a wily coyote type thief <laughs> who is nameless. Uh, just, just thief. Just thief. Uh, neither Tack or the thief speak in the many of the most of the versions, mm -hmm. um, except for a single line at the end of the film from Tack. Yes. Um, we follow Tack as he falls in love with the ineffectual Sultan's, I mean, the king's daughter, Jazz, I mean, Yum Yum. Uh, <laughs> they really had to go and name her Yum Yum. Just, <laughs> uh, which is, is both, it's both. Really satisfying and deeply unsettling to hear Vincent Price as the vizier say her name <laughs> yeah. repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, the villain is voiced by Vincent Price. Which is great. Chef's kiss. Moi. Uh, he was specifically picked by Richard Williams because he had based the character Zigzag, uh, which I'm about to talk to talk about, um, off of two people he hated in real life. <laughs> oh my God, really? Yeah. That's astounding. So, but he loved Vincent Price. So he's like, I still have to make this fun for myself. So I'll cast Vincent Price as the voice. I, I love that. Yeah, it's it's great. Yum Yum, not Jasmine, hoink, uh, <laughs> falls in love with Tack, the street rat with a heart of gold and quick wits. Plotting against the king, Yum Yum, and Tack uh, is the golden, the royal grand vizier which is sort of a royal advisor. In this case, um, the royal advisor with a pet bird that's mostly there for comic relief and physical abuse. It's, it's fucking Aladdin. Yeah, it's it Aladdin. really, it, the parallels to Aladdin are so stark. It's kind of <laughs> astounding. But again, you did mention one of the alternate titles for this was Arabian Nights. So that's not surprising. We will unfortunately get to it. Yes. Uh, Tack accidentally interrupts Zigzag's uh, admittedly dope, if repetitive, entrance and gets himself sentenced to death. But Yum Yum is instant is instantly about this pale ass peasant boy, uh, and saves him by saying that she needs her shoe cobbled. He cobbles that shoe. The thief steals that shoe, leading to a chase through an like an Escher esque um, palace thing. It's fantastic. Uh, once retrieved <laughs> and with the job done, Tack is tossed into prison where he makes friends with some mice. It's real cute. Yeah. The thief pole vaults his way to stealing the golden balls uh, as King Nod learns of the approaching one-eyed army. Um, he has like he has like a prophetic dream. It freaks him the fuck out in the uh, in the recobbled version. And there's this great shot of uh, 
I think I think it's meant to be like a, a neighboring village or town or whatever um, that gets sacked by the one-eyed army. Yeah, and it's like a single dude who makes it out with like sixteen arrows stuck in him, and he's like slow motion running across the desert at night with like the moon overhead. It's gorgeous. This movie is gorgeous. It is. Yeah. No. The the uh, so many of the of the uh, of of the sequences are just beautifully animated yeah. and do such playful things. We'll get to it. I'm we'll, sure. We'll but. get to it. We'll get to it. King Nod learns about the the approaching one-eyed army. Seeing an opportunity, Zigzag has his bird steal the balls from the thief. Zigzag says he'll find them, wink, if Nod lets him marry Yum Yum. And the king was like, no. (laughs) Get fucked, you weird wiggly incel. Basically, which is like kind of what I wish the sultan had done in (laughs) Aladdin. Yeah. He was hypnotized, but He was hypnotized, yeah. That snake staff is very convincing. I, I guess he did. He was like, you? Yep. Pervert. Uh, <laughs> Zigzag takes rejection really well and with grace and defects to the one-eyed army. <laughs> you know, that reasonable thing that everyone does. <laughs> They're also like, we're not having it. Go talk to our alligators if you survive That's them. That's true. Like, yeah, they, he, he did He did try to just outright like have this guy eaten by alligators and be done with yeah. him. Like, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Yum Yum and Tack head into the desert to search for a mythical not-genie who is either a floating eye or a granny with saggy breasts, depending on the version you watch. Yeah. Uh, if there are no saggy breasts, you're watching the wrong version. Which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's not going to be the first thing. No. Uh, they run into a group of brigands who either sing and dance or don't sing and dance. And if you remember the singing and dancing, again, you watch the wrong version. Yes. Uh, I it, made Joe watch. He Jack made me watch the singing and dancing number right before we recorded. My God, that was terrible. I I didn't make you watch the entirety of the worst version. Just that one. Just scene. that one scene. Yeah, yeah and I I, re- I regret it. <laughs> With the witch, not genie's advice, the gang heads back to Golden City just in time to see the one eyed one eyed massive Susian war machine begin. God, it's so good. It's really it's great. So good. Tack uses attack to set off a Rube Goldberg machine of destruction. And it's so good. Which is also incredible. <laughs> I've, I've always been a sucker for Rube Goldberg machines, so yeah. that sequence made me so happy. And I've always been a sucker for, um, like, a protagonist that's completely oblivious to the danger that's around him. Yes. And, like, as the war machine is being decimated, um, <laughs> the thief is just, like, walking around the destruction <laughs> like hands stretched out trying to grab the ball that's like yeah. just out of reach like, it, a, like a cat yeah it's like a, it's a reverse wily coyote because he's completely <laughs> yeah. oblivious to what's about to happen to him but he continuously just like serendipitously evades yeah. certain death the entire time uh including a point where he gets like thrown through a tower and the tower as it's falling apart becomes an airplane yeah it's <laughs> amazing um, and he just knows how to fly it <laughs> the army is defeated Zigzag is mauled by his chariot of alligators, which is the one time I th- I think you should have gone with horses. Oh yeah, uh, and the balls are returned to the uh, returned by the thief, who's just like fucking over it by that point. Uh, Yum Yum and Tack are married. Tack says "I love you" in a very deep, unsettling voice that says is credited to Sean Connery, but he actually didn't show up to record his one line. So, that figures. I had wondered about that because it, it is. Ext- it would be extremely weird for him to come in and just do a single line. Yeah. I have a theory as to how we went from I'll do the line to I won't do the line later. Okay. In truth, that line is recorded by a 
one of Richard Wy- Richard Williams's wives' friends. Oh, okay. So he, he, uh, she, he was married four times. He just had this particular wife just happened to have a very Connery esque friend. Yeah, with a unnervingly deep voice. Yeah, somewhere somewhere between Connery and Christopher Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. There's a, there is a a, a a a climax in the midst of that that you did not mention though, and it there's is there's a bunch I left out. Yeah, but uh, I, I I just feel the need to point this out because. It really stood out to me watching the recobbled version. So w- the leader of the One Eye Army uh, is when we first meet him for real is uh, sitting on a throne made of just like scantily clad thick women. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, and then in in the end, when it's clear that he has lost, they turn on him uh, and form a throne on top of him. So thus suffocate him to death with their thick butts. Just straight up smother him to death. You're right. I should have included that. It's, it's an important detail. I um, think everyone should be aware of it. My favorite scene in the movie. It's free on YouTube. Yeah. No. Um. All of the versions are on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, different degrees of quality, but you're watching the recobbled version anyway, and that's the only place you can see it. Yes. There's a scene where the thief sneaks into the palace early on, and Princess Yum Yum goes to take a bath while her cobbler... Um, manservant is fixing her shoe. Yeah. And she has a back scratcher with gems embedded in it. And the thief steals it. <laughs> and she's like, not a problem. I'm rich as shit. Yeah. She's like, all right. Grabs another, another one. one. So he, Which steals, he steals that one. He steals that like immediately. Doesn't even <laughs> yeah. like wait. No. He's just like, well, all right. Yoink. Then later, <laughs> I think it's after he stole the, the golden balls, but then mm-hmm. lost them or something. He's caught stealing He's, something. He, he gets caught in the process of either getting away from that or stealing something else on the way out yeah. of the palace in the midst of all of that. Uh, so they do the thing that you, that, you know, is, is, you know, the, the, the eye for an eye, you know, yeah. you, you tried to steal, thus you get your hands chopped off thing. So he just sticks out the, the little back scratcher. <laughs> yeah. And the animation, and again, he's silent. So the animation of him screaming is just like, and shake him back roll. Yeah. Back, and back, just, back, back. It, yeah, it's just his, his head shaking back and forth and some cacophonous horns. <laughs> Uh, and, and then he can like crosses his knot hands and just like saunters and off, just, like like looks like sheepishly over his shoulder as he walks away. <laughs> yeah, no one questions that he's not bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Ah, oh, God, what a what a movie. Um, so why why does this movie matter? In an interview, Richard Williams says why he did this, and he framed it as. Long ago, when a master had mastered his craft, he would create his masterpiece. Sure. And that's what he wanted to do with this. It didn't quite go as planned. But the amount of, like, when you watch it, it is incomplete. But when you watch it, you can tell that the person who made this knew what they were doing. Yeah. If it had been finished, it would be taught in every class. (laughs) Every animation class, every like film class. I, w- I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it is still taught in a, in yeah. several of them. But it, yeah, like if it had actually been brought to fruition as Williams had wanted, it, this this would live on as like as an absolute masterpiece, like 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 a household name. I won't say it's some of the best animation in the world because there's quite a bit of Eastern animation that I've not watched. Sure. Yeah, that's um, a, a reasonable thing to acknowledge. But even though the pieces of like 
anime that I've watched that are considered, these are some of the best, um, specifically hand-drawn animation. Yeah. Um, like Akira. This is a different style. Yeah. But it's it's stupid how detailed it is. Um, and I know we're doing a podcast on an animated movie, but hey, we do podcasts on live action movies all the time. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's not a visual medium, but that's that's what other things are for. That's what, again, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Go check it out. Uh, do not watch any of the trailers. They're all from the garbage version. Of course. So this story has fascinated me since college, uh, and I'm really happy to have a chance to discuss it. Good. Um, let's start by talking about Richard Williams's early life. Sure. Yeah. I, w- um, I want to know as much as we can about this guy. He He's Canadian-British. Fun. Yep. Exotic. Um, born in 1933, March 19th. Is that a Pisces or an Aries? I want to say that's a Pisces. I think he's my, one of my Piscean brothers. Hmm. There are no connections between he and I and the <laughs> destruction of our lives over our art. Uh, he saw Snow White at the age of five. Neat. Which gave, like, changed his life. Um, it's like me and Star Wars. He he used to draw uh, little, like, basically flip books. In, oh, in school, and his his teacher would let him do it because he, as long as it was a bird, because his, his teacher was like a, a bird aficionado. Like a member of the Audubon Society yeah. or whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, you're paying attention. You're listening and you're pa- kind of paying attention, but as long as it's birds, I guess it's okay. <laughs> um, so in, however, in 1953, he saw a Rembrandt in person and it brought him to tears. Oh, um, and oh, that's he, a powerful reaction to art, right there. Yeah, uh, he he dropped the animation entirely. He went to he he became a painter. Oh, um, huh. For a minute, until uh, he, until the paintings didn't move. <laughs> he's like, why is this one not moving? Oh, I'm shaking weird. it. It's just not doing it, anything. Tilting it. It's um, just, uh... He, <laughs> let me quote him. Couldn't stand the idea of doing paintings for rich industrialists' wives. The whole art world was just repulsive as a way of life. Huh. So he went back to animation. And in 1958, he released his first animated short called Little Island. It's it's cute. It's three little geometric shapes, kind of like blooping on a little island. It's two-dimensional. Okay. So that's him like, dipping his toe in and putting himself out there. Yeah. And if you're if you're looking at it as like, oh, this is a, a person's first work, it does not look like that. Um, I remember going to, I think it was the Warhol, and they had an Alex Ross exhibit, and they had some of his like early work. Um, Alex Ross, as a, a painter, um, does a lot of comic book work. Right. And you're looking at, it's like, this is his age 12 work. Same thing with Frank Frazetta. I'm like, I've never drawn as well as he has at the age of seven. <laughs> like, gifted, uh, which is a term I don't like, but. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a term that's got some baggage associated with it, yeah. but sure. But I'm looking at Frank Frazetta's hand-drawn seven-year-old drawing with, like, sh- properly shaded and uh, the proportions no. are all right. And I'm like, I still draw the ears too big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that's essentially... So many problems with hair. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that was Richard Williams with animation, essentially. Okay. With this, I think he moves to England and starts, like, an animation studio. One of the things his studio does... 
Um, and they don't really do this too much anymore in films, but he does movie intros. Um, so right, right, yeah, that, yeah, that's definitely not something we see all that often now. No, well, especially because there was a point where they had the entirety of the credits up front, and then there was like no credits in back. Oh um, wow! Whereas that... like now it's you you have the the big players, the the actors, the director, you know, whatever, up front, and then you have the full credits in the, in the back. Yes. Where uh, at that time, I think I think probably it was an issue with they just didn't credit everybody, um, so they could fit them all front. It was still longer, uh, but he did films. His big one was uh, Charge of the Light Brigade, which is a movie I've not watched, but I did watch. I've the, heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of like the famous historical event. Yeah, he did the animation for that. It it looks pretty cool. All right, uh, I'm definitely have to look at, look into that. The one I did see prior to this project was his opening for the Pink Panther. Oh, I think it's Return of the Pink Panther. He does okay, and this guy just he. He couldn't make things easy for himself. He just refused. No, I absolutely um, am not surprised by that. <laughs> so the the Pink Panther walks out on this black you know, black backdrop, does his little soft shoe, and then the little Clouseau character pokes <laughs> up from a manhole, and the Pink Panther's on top of the manhole because Clouseau's Clouseau. Naturally, and yeah. When Clouseau looks left to right, they animate the pink panther he has a, he has like a little dancing cane and he's like has, sticking straight out so he animates the cane so that it goes past the screen in what it would essentially be 3d oh so he has to like foreshorten it as yes. it's going around like that yeah. that motion's really hard to capture yeah he did it <laughs> uh i want to know, how, I know cool. how fucking long that took that's that's an issue for him <laughs> Uh, the other one that that's noted is What's New Pussycat, which it's just like all these fun 60s, 70s uh, openings. Outstanding. Um, in 1971, he won the Academy Award for his short film adaptation of A Christmas Carol, which I did watch and I sent you a screenshot of. And it is Oh, something. you did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think he got the memo that it was like something that any – like a child would watch. Uh, no, that was <laughs> – his, that, go, that ghost of Marley was terrifying. The and you didn't see you you couldn't hear the screech, no, the moan. Um, and then he of course included, uh, what is it? It's not greed and want. It's like want and something inside of the ghost of Christmas. Christmas present opens up his robe, and there's this like gross little child. One's want, and the other one is I forget. But hmm. they don't include it in most versions because it's creepy as fuck. Sure. Yeah, I'm not even familiar with this idea. Uh, the George C. Scott version had it. And, like, I'd, hmm. I'd grown up on, like, the Mickey Mickey version. Yeah. And then the first time I watched the George C. Scott version, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> why, why are there emaciated children in this man's robe? Yeah. Um, no, that's that. – And now I love it and I don't like a version if it doesn't have it. <laughs> um, what about the Muppet version? Do they not have it? No. What's the point? The Muppet version. Oh <laughs> it's the best version. I, I'll just do a supercut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just it's all Muppets, and then suddenly it's just these horrible things. I don't think Pepe existed at that point, but I could see him being a. Yeah, he was in it. Oh, was he? Yeah, he's palling he? around. He's palling around with Gonzo, who's who's uh, pretending to be Charles Dickens the entire time. Oh wait, no, that was Rizzo. Never mind. Wrong character. Like, I feel like Pepe wouldn't show up to anyway. Yeah, no, I got. I no, I just, I just mixed up a rat with a shrimp. Let's just ignore it and move on. They feel the same kind of. Yeah, 
Just, anyway. I was wrong. Don't tweet at me. <laughs> uh, I just told people that the Muppet Christmas Carol doesn't matter, so I think you're probably safe. Yeah, you're I'll, probably right. <laughs> I'm going to take all the flack there. Uh, so the entire time he's he's doing this business, he's getting recognized by people um, in the movie business. He's He's doing himself a little collection. He's collecting up all of the the other master animators. Oh, okay. He's forming a super team. Yeah. Uh, so he gets Art Babbitt, who drew all of those fantastic goofy shorts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Grim Natwick, who did Betty so, Boop, which is what I'm not great, super familiar with. Great name. And then probably the reason that the thief looks like Wile E. Coyote is he gets Ken Harris, who did Wile E. Coyote. That... Oh my god, that tracks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and there's there's a bunch, but these are people who had worked with Disney. These are like all of the the studios that had like these are our key animators. Mm, yeah, you've got like, Disney, you've got Warner Brothers, you've got yeah, yeah. So keep that in mind. Okay. So now we're gonna go into the actual production part of the Thief and the Cobbler. Uh, so the entire time he's doing all this, he has been writing stories for this book called Nazardine. Um, Nazardine. Yes. Okay. Uh, 1964. This was for a book series by Idris Shah uh, about a folk character, Nazardine. He wanted to develop it into a movie. The Shah family and Paramount were like, that's a great idea, not knowing how he do things. Um, <laughs> so he's like, wonderful. I will now dedicate my entire life and several marriages to making this a reality. Cool. This went on for 10 years. So this this is hitting like Steven Spielberg I'm fucking my movies levels of easily. There's yeah. <laughs> I've watched several documentaries and all of them have this one image <laughs> of him at his house like he he animated it at the studio, would go home, had his own animation studio in his house. Of course he fucking did. And there's his wife in like a chair reading a book nearby. And that's the only and, image of his wife. Oh, and that God. did not last. It was not a marriage that lasted. So. In 1974, after having created over three hours of animated material. This is where it starts. It, it's, it starts really real early. Three, the fuckery. Three hours yeah. of animated material. Yeah. That's so much so much holy shit it was discovered that the producer one of the shaw family i'm gonna say may so i don't get sued may have been embezzling money meant for the film and the film was canceled come on worse the family the shaw family owned the rights to the character of nazardine yeah so that three hours of film he couldn't even do anything with it it. um (sighs) the only thing he got from it was they let him keep some of the background characters that he created. Just like funny, c- kind of like how in The Thief and the Cobbler, there's um, Buff Granny. Yeah. No, I love Buff <laughs> Granny. Yeah. <laughs> there's some, Princess Yum Yum has like like a nurse, like an old woman. That yeah. Falls, and she's got giant yeah. fucking she, arms. She looks like she's just like an average woman in like a yeah. black shawl. They, like, they draw her like shaking. Like she's old yeah, she's very frail. She has, she's got giant Coke bottle glasses that, that, that Tack has to mend at one point. And, but as soon as someone crosses her, these, it's like, like out of an episode of Spongebob or something, these big beefy yeah. arms emar- emerge from underneath her cloak and just fuck shit up. It's so good. She, she beats the hell out of the thief 
later like, one the first brigands. scene yeah like, in the first scene <laughs> just, oh my um, god so like but she was like a background character with like a couple of funny gags okay um so he got to carry her over he he got to carry the thief over oh the thief was originally a background character in nazardine Oh, okay. I thought you were saying that the, the, the buff granny was. No, no, no. She's her own thing. Okay. She she doesn't need no. She she doesn't need she don't need no help from no one. No. Except for maybe you know an optometrist. But yeah, yeah those are pretty thick glasses. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean mood. But so yeah, so so he got to bring the thief yeah. in. Like he had all he that's a pre existing character for yes. him. Okay. Like the way he looks in the final product is the way he looked when he was drawn for Nazardine. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Williams combined the character of the thief with another idea and the story became Tin Tack. Tin Tack? Yeah. They eventually obviously shortened it to Tack, but at that point, Tin Tack. This story goes through like 15 different title changes. Sure. So this is but this so, is so where Tack from, becomes the... We went from Nazardine to Tin Tack. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, at this point, it has, like, no connection to Nazardine for legal purposes. Right. He just flat out couldn't do that. Yeah. So you have to scrap everything that relates to that character specifically. Yeah. With that story, he and his company were ready to dive all in. They were all in to make this movie. But there was an economic recession that hit. What year is this? Uh, mid seventies, mid seventies. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know about like Great Britain's economic recession. I know. I know of the one in the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those, I forgot this is taking place in Britain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say like U.S. gas shortage. I was thinking U.S. gas but, shortage, electrical. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah um, no, completely different circumstance. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. It led to them basically having to take any job that was offered to them. Um, yeah. I think he said he did like 200 commercials. Oh, maybe fuck. over 200 commercials. Good um, lord, man. One of the more notable pieces was Raggedy Ann and Andy, a musical adventure oh, from 1977. Okay. Um, which I remember my mom having a Raggedy Andy doll. Um, it looks trippy as hell. I, I actually really wanted to watch it before we recorded this. Didn't have time. It, ah. it looks like Nightmare Fuel, and that's just right <laughs> up my alley. That's, that's true. <laughs> this is animation that was meant for a child but scares the hell out of them. I'm right there. Fuck yes. So they're working on these movies, these or the uh, these like projects that are not his. Yeah. Um, these commercials that are not his. But the entire time, he's ruining his marriage by going home and working on this there. Or he's, like, balancing where he's, like, one for you, one for me. Uh, assigning some animators to work on the movie, his movie, and other, others to do the commercials. God, that's um, so rough. On the one hand, it's like, you know, you, ha- like, you, ha- like you need to pay attention to your marriage and, yeah. and make your marriage work and flourish. But then on the other hand, like you're in the middle of that bad an economic recession, like you, like you, yeah. you also have to do whatever the fuck you can to keep your household afloat. It's and I can see why he was married four times. Like he is a he's charming in his eccentricity. Sure, but it takes a very particular kind of person to like stay a partner with, uh, yeah, with or especially to maintain a marriage with uh, that level of eccentric. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just having some flashbacks. Um, <laughs> I've gotten better, okay? <laughs> so I have a very understanding partner. Yes. Oh, so the reason this took so long, because we're already 10 years into this 
project. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you said it really started around 64. Yes. I don't know animation terms super duper well, so I'll explain it in film terms. Okay. Uh, motion picture films. When you're animating a project or animating a film, you're doing, I believe, 12 drawings per second. Something at, like at that. Time. Yeah. He thought that was lazy. Oh, no. So he did twice that. Uh, that's oh, he was going 24 frames per second. Yeah, which is, if you know your film, that's how many you do in a movie. Yeah, that's, that's, that's real life film. That's real life film. I think the, the slang they were using is like doing it by the ones instead of doing it by the twos. Okay. Um, so it's like every other one. Yeah. Every one. <laughs> every yeah. every one. Yeah. There's, no, there's no skips. No, I think if you look at like pre-computer cartoons – it's it's less than that. It's like less than twelve, um, and yeah. then you have like Disney quality. It's like I think sixteen or something like that. I'm pulling this out of my ass. It's been so long since I've read about this stuff. Um, but he's like, no, we're doing twenty four, twenty four drawings per. And like there, there's these clips of him standing over his animators and with a bullwhip. <sighs> Wait, <laughs> <laughs> no, not literally a bullwhip. He was not fun to work for. Oh, boy. People worked for him because they recognized he was, I don't use this term loosely, a genius. Sure. But he was also miserable to work for. I mean, uh, that that sends a track for a lot of the people, a lot of the people that get called geniuses from back yeah. then. So yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So 24 drawings per second. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, that's many. Williams realized that if he's going to demand this level of quality and he's seeing how much time it's taking to do this, he and he's splitting his time by doing commercials. Yeah. He needs financial backing. Oh, yeah. 100%. Which he was nervous to do because that always brings issues and he's already been bit once by the Shaw family. True. Yeah, I'd be a little gun shy at that point, too. Uh, but in 1978, he gets his first shot. Uh Bear with me as I pronounce this name. From the Saudi uh, Saudi Arabian prince Mohammed bin Faisal al Saud, he becomes interested in the project and he provides one hundred thousand dollars for a ten minute test clip. One hundred thousand dollars or hundred thousand pounds? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, uh, hundred thousand monies. I, I thought. I think they in the documentary at least they said. Dollars. Okay. Because that number doesn't stay that number for very long. Mm. Um, so uh, they decide, okay, we got this chunk of money. Let's do the hardest scene. And that would be the Rube Goldberg uh, scene at the end. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say I blame them for jumping no, right to no, the big deals there. This will come back to bite him in the ass later. But mm. every time he gets money, he does the hard shit. The hard shit, unfortunately, is not the plot shit. No, it's not. So Williams misses the deadline twice, and the 100,000 turns into a quarter of a million, and for some reason, the prince backs out. Hmm. For, you know, reasons. Reasons. Uh, but they get this excellent scene out of it. It's a fantastic fucking scene. That, with a commercial that they did for Disney, is like... Disney and like Sunny D or something like that. What the um, fuck? 
<laughs> and like the Disney characters, commercials were even dumber when we were kids than they are now. Um, I mean, now they're just like ab- ab- absurd abstract <laughs> art pieces. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like... <laughs> because nothing matters anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's like the Disney characters playing soccer and enjoying orange juice. Yeah. Uh, but what makes it unique is that it was the kids in the commercial are live action and the Disney characters are animated and it looks pretty good especially for that time period. Sure. And Steven Spielberg saw not only the scene that they made for the the prince, but also that commercial. And do you know what he wants to adapt? What does he want to adapt? Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so he huh. goes to Williams in Williams' studio and says, listen, I saw your commercial. That – Live action mixed with animation normally looks like shit, but you guys made it look pretty cool. Will you do the movie? Because it's really the only way we're going to be able to do this movie is if you do it. And Williams is like, yeah, if you pay for me to make the cobbler. Aha. Aha. And they did. And Roger Rabbit was made and cobbler was financed. And everyone will have to go happily ever after the end. That's a short episode. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. A- uh, let's break for commercial. And when I, I guess we come back, I'll I'll find something to talk about. All right. Yeah, you're not going to just you know drop a whole bunch of sad stuff on me out of nowhere. None of that was true, never right? Never do that. <laughs> I am uh, so excited to talk about this next part called Bumping the Lamp, how I talked about bumping the lamp. I'm bumping the mic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how excited I am about bumping the lamp. No, you have not talked to me about bumping the lamp. Good. What? Okay. Um, so uh, when I learned that Richard Williams's studio was behind the animation for Roger Rabbit. Yes. Who framed Roger Rabbit. Um, I was not surprised because it's stupidly meticulously animated. Yes. Um, and should not exist. And <laughs> honestly, the only reason another one doesn't exist because it did really well. Yeah. Is Richard Williams said no. So like, well, that's, that's it. That, that's it. He's yeah, no, I don't want to, <sighs> I'm going to go work on my other movies. So like, I can't do it. And they're like, well, yes, this will like never happen person. again. Yeah. That's why they started looking into computer, uh, computer versions of Roger Rabbit. And thus we have space jam. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Uh, so they, they had mixed live action anima- animation before. Um, it, it would look fine. It didn't look like you couldn't really suspend your disbelief in a way that like, oh, Tom and Jerry are occupying the same space as <laughs> these other characters. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a movie with Tom and Jerry like back in the 60s, 70s. I think you're um, right. I vaguely remember Jerry doing like a, a tap dance number. Um, but the camera had to be stationary. And – so Spielberg and, produced uh, Roger Rabbit, but Robert Zemeckis directed it. Yes. And Zemeckis was fully ready to keep the camera stationary every time that Roger or an animated character was on screen with Bob Hopkins. But Williams is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, he called the other animators lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all like coming a mile away. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, shoot it like a movie. I'll mm-hmm. animate around it. Don't I'm the animators are lazy, uh, which r- reminded me of the sequence in Pink Panther 
where the Pink Panther's cane yep. swings around. I'm like, only you, you mad genius, <laughs> would – because can you imagine how much traveling you have to do as as a pencil artist? It's crazy. So much. <laughs> also, I'd never seen um, – any anytime Roger would interact with Eddie, they used this little like robotic arm. <laughs> robotic arm? Yeah. It, it looks – you ever see – yeah, like anytime like a robotic arm that's just like does one task. Sure, sure. Uh, and but... then they would just draw over top of it. <laughs> uh, it looks ridiculous. Bob Hopkins was was a treasure, and I miss him. Yeah, no, what a, what an what an amazing actor. Um, so bumping the lamp. This has really nothing to do with our story, but I love it so much, and I can't see any other time that I'll be able to talk about it. Please do then. So yes. there's a scene in Roger Rabbit where I forget what Christopher Lloyd's character is called. The judge. The judge, yeah. yeah. Um, I forget the, like, the, the official judge name. I yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, he and his weasels go into like a diner or something looking yeah, yeah, for yeah. Roger. Um, and he and Eddie are hiding in the back room. And it's, it's like a bunch of cardboard boxes and shit. And there's a single lamp hanging over top. Yeah, like the, the one light. Yeah. yeah. And Roger freaks out, right, mm-hmm. as he do. Runs around the room, knocking shit over. And that was plenty. That was hard enough to animate. Sure. But then Williams was like, he bumped the lamp. Like, yeah. Like, well, you have to animate. And it's swinging. Like, the lamp is swinging. So now you have to change the shadow as it goes Uh back and forth over Roger. You're just showing off now. (laughs) And the, the term specifically means... You're showing off in a way that no one's going to notice except for you and maybe some other people in film. Uh, but it makes for such an impressive visual it moment. Is. Like, like, even as a kid, I'm watching this and I'm like, I'm fully invested in this relationship between Roger and Eddie. Yeah. And it's because it looks real. It feels real. The, the fact that he went to such lengths to make damn sure that you, you were realizing them in the same space with yeah. the same lighting, with the same everything that like it, it's what makes it work. Yeah. It's, it's why you have Tom and Jerry 2021. And I, besides just being terribly written, um, well, there's that and acted, uh, I, I don't believe I don't believe there's a cartoon cat and mouse in the same space as these live action actors. Well, I think we've talked about that one previously too, where that one's not even like about them and it's their no. movie. Like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so I'll talk some shit on on Richard later, but I mean, I, f- I imagine there is some room to do so with the way he with the way he conducts his business. Yeah, um, and marriages. <laughs> but that that just yeah. that. Holy yeah, the shit. fact that he pulled that fucking shot off, that's that whole sequence. Stunning. <laughs> it reminds me of the the prop master for the movie seven mm-hmm. that went through and drew like wrote every one of those notebooks. Oh god. Uh, composition <laughs> notebooks for the I'm not gonna spoil the movie, even though it's from the nineties. Yeah. But there's like a bunch of like ser- serial killer written notebooks, and he went through and wrote like thousands of these for like Five seconds on screen. Yeah. And even I'm like, you've gone beyond being impressed and I'm concerned. Yeah. You become become obsessive and I'm a little worried about you. Yeah. But also, nice. 
well done. But also nice, yeah. Uh, I'm sure Fincher was super happy to have these. Yeah, these right. Um, I wonder if I could get one. There's probably there's a, yeah. There's sweet. So with that Roger Rabbit money, Williams start started to finish the Thief and the Cobbler. Uh, Roger Rabbit came out in 1988. He had till 1991 to finish it. Okay, so we've got a, we've got a deadline. We've got a deadline, and this is through Warner Brothers. And because Warner Brothers ain't no dummy, they hire the Completion Bond Company. And who they are is if <sighs> yeah, that face is <laughs> that cringy face is right. <laughs> if Williams does not meet his deadline when it comes, they will take the movie and finish it themselves. Woof! Because Warner Brothers <laughs> is spending their money. They're going to... We're going to get our movie. Get their movie. This is the this is the worst paragraph of the script for me. As the deadline got closer, Williams did a storyboard for the remaining scenes. Joe, you, you've done a movie here and there. Yeah. When would you do a storyboard? Pre-production. That's correct. Hey, hey Richard... So, Rich, I've worked with artists like this, and I'm I'm developing, like, ulcers and extra hernias right now. Yeah, that makes it. me so nervous. Like, imagine for a moment that we had stopped in the middle of shooting American Curse, in the middle of those two weeks, to storyboard out how the rest of the movie I'm, was going to go. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Uh, <laughs> so... What if we were uh, if we were standing on that roof in Bloomfield shooting Knife Breaker the Bricketing and go wait hold on Vince stay frosty we got to we we got literally frosty <laughs> we got we got to storyboard out these last moments oh good lord yep. Williams didn't like a script he didn't like a storyboard he liked the to be there with the drawings and it was worked out in his head Oh man! And, and again, like we're falling back on that genius thing, where it's like you, you, only you, would be able to have millions of drawings in your head and have it make sense to you. See, this this is the kind of fucking anxiety that makes me like afraid to finish projects on my own because <laughs> I, I I am legitimately worried I would turn into this. Every 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 project I do, mm-hmm. there are at least like ten different like spreadsheets and documents behind it. Yeah, so that I I know like I because my memory is good, but it's not great. Right. right. Um, there are, I've written things that I found later. I'm like I don't remember writing this ever. <laughs> Who wrote this? Was that me? <laughs> um, but I've worked with artists who are like it's very restricting to have a script, and I'm like. It's shut not, up. It's a guideline. It's a guideline. <laughs> yeah. A. It can change. B, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like Kubrick on The Shining would rewrite the script every day, but he had the script. But he had the script. And he was he was rewriting it, like basically like um, polishing the next scene based upon how the previous scene had gone. Okay, that sounds a um, little bit less ridiculous. Still stressful. It's still very but... stressful and a little, a little fly by the seat of your pants, but also like – you're flying by the sea of your pants with like a like like a line attached. Yeah, yeah. There there was a bit of a net, and also yeah. he did every shot like eighty times. So he he, we, he was we, able to we, work it I out. Say, I would say we we know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
it's at this point that William starts doing a storyboard as they're getting close to the deadline. I believe, and I have no evidence to back this up, I think he knew he wasn't going to make the deadline. Okay. And they were going to come and take his movie. Uh Uh-huh. And the only way he would be able to have anything resembling close to a finished film is if he had storyboards. Hmm. It was with these storyboards that he created his bootleg cut. Okay. But the the thought that he's like, oh, uh, as as I mentioned earlier, they're not, they weren't, they were doing all the hard stuff first. Yeah. So you have like the gorgeous action sequences and the climactic moments, but none of the connective tissue, none of the plot stuff. Yeah. And that's because every time he saw that one of those great action scenes were going well, He'd be like, ooh, let's add a little bit of this. Ooh, let's add a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, he starts gilding the lily yeah, a little bit. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like, I very much enjoyed the recobbled cut. Yeah. There was so much shit in there that I would cut. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, there were definitely, there, there, were, there were scenes, I, 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 I remember, where it's just like, this doesn't feel necessary. Like, we could really skip right past this. Or this is lingering too long. Yeah. Like, There's a reason that the Miramax cut does make sense, like, mm-hmm. narratively. And it's 80 minutes long because there is a lot that can be cut. <laughs> right. Because the, the recobbled cuts like an hour 43, Something I think. Like so yeah. like a little more than 100 minutes long. Yeah. So on May 13th, 1992. That'd be bad. Warner Brothers said, hey, animators, go on vacation. Take a break. Oh, oh no. And they knew. Yeah. And they did. And I, I should, before I say this, I should mention that it then became, in that those like last couple of months, it became known that Aladdin was a thing. Right. Yeah. They, they would have had to have known, right? They have yeah. Disney connections. So as I mentioned before, Richard Williams, genius, bit of a tyrant. Yeah. Love to fire people. Mm. If you're an animator... There's so many. There's only so many options as to where you can work. Yeah. So people who had worked on the Thief and the Cobbler, and it's like 30 year work in progress, went to Disney. Yep. And if you watch the Cobbler and the Thief recobbled, along with Aladdin, there are an uncomfortable amount of similarities. Yeah, I, I picked up on that a little bit. Not saying you can't still enjoy Aladdin. It's great. No, no, Aladdin's fun. But here's the thing. Richard Williams is so focused on, like, the prize, he didn't give a shit. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, there's similarities. It doesn't matter. It's not drawn well enough. Um, <laughs> everyone else in the studio is freaking out, and they should have been because I believe, and again, no evidence to back this up. I believe that if Aladdin didn't exist mm-hmm. and it got closer and closer to that deadline warner brothers would have looked at what was done and said fuck you but finish it that's what i think would have happened had aladdin not been in the picture correct yeah because it it is so so close to being a done like a finished product right but aladdin did happen and it made a gazillion dollars and before it came out, they were trying to they were trying to release the Thief and the Cobbler before Aladdin. Right, they wanted to mistake. beat. Yeah, they wanted to beat it to to uh, to theaters. 
Yeah, the thing is that like Aladdin has finished scenes. <laughs> like all of its scenes are finished. What? Um, so we're back to May 13th, 1992. The studio's on vacation. Warner Brother sends in or they they back out of the film. The what is essentially an insurance company, the completion bond company comes in and they seize the movie. Yeah. Um while everyone's on vacation and no one's there to uh to to defend it. Right. Yeah. They they had fun storming the castle. God, there's this this scene in the documentary. I think it's called The Persistence of Vision, which is really confusing to Google because that is already a film term term. Sure. Of um, course it is. But it's it also it's a nice it's a fun wordplay. Yeah. Um but it's the rap party for the movie that they didn't finish. It's like a week after they got back from quote unquote vacation. Yeah. <laughs> AKA it, anxiety stress tripped nineteen ninety two. God. The and like you can see they're trying to like enjoy themselves, but oh my God, that's so stressful. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I hate um, all of it. And you can see like Richard Williams is just like completely dissociated. Oh God. Um the movie then falls under the Bond company headed by Ed or sorry, not Ed, Fred uh Calvert. Right. Yeah, you you mentioned him in the beginning. Now he was vaguely aware of the process already because it's a you know, it's a bond company. They're gonna they're not gonna just like wait for the, the deadline. They're gonna send their stooge in to check it out. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have some some knowledge up front so they can like f- not, like bang this out. I say stooge, I I don't want to shit on Fred Calvert too much because as he was going in to like check on these guys, he kind of went native a little bit. No, oh, really? The and, art the art Pinkerton almost turned yeah, out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, this is really good. <laughs> so when the company was when they seized the film, he volunteered to be in charge of it. So he's like, at least someone who kind of gives a shit will be in charge of it. Yeah. Unfortunately he didn't know what the fuck he's doing, but uh, at least he cared. <laughs> that's that that counts for something. Yes. I'll I'll give him I'll give him that. Let's now move on to the release of the movie. Sure. Uh, real quick sidebar. Oh. Before Fred Calvert took over the film, there was like a, a Hail Mary thrown. Oh? <laughs> yeah. It was a terrible Hail Mary. <laughs> so one of the people, business people, I don't know whose side they were on and where, but it was suggested that they bring in another filmmaker to kind of supervise Williams to like make sure it got done. Okay. Would you like to guess which filmmaker they suggested? Hmm. I will tell you, they picked the very worst possible option. And the Bond company immediately said, fuck you. <laughs> We're not stupid. I, I, I'm i at a loss. Terry Gilliam. No. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> They're like, we'll have Terry Gilliam come in. He'll supervise it. He'll kind of make sure that William stays on track. And then everyone went, no, 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 hold on. <laughs> They're like, hold on a <laughs> No, minute. we've heard of him before. <laughs> we know this guy. It's 1992. <laughs> We're... <laughs> we, we heard of Brazil. <laughs> we uh, remember Munchausen. <laughs> so <laughs> they unfortunately I... said, no, thank you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that means that in some universe, 
Terry Gilliam oversaw the completion of the, the Thief and the Cobbler. There is an alternate reality where that actually happened. Absolutely. And I would love to visit just so I could watch this movie. <laughs> just- <laughs> um, God. Uh, so under the Fred Calvert cut, it was released, but only in South Africa and Australia. <laughs> what? And it was it was the title for that release was The Princess and the Cobbler. Which oh, okay. makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a reasonable title considering, uh, you know, they get together. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why they picked those two markets and nowhere else, but yeah. they did. I'm unsure of, because I did not watch this cut. I didn't want to. I don't and I won't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I made it through the Miramax version. I'm that, good. That was enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't really see there being a reason to watch the bootleg if the recobble is basically the bootleg, but with stuff fixed. Sure, sure. It was either for this cut or the Miramax cut that they added three songs because they're like, it's the 90s. Gotta have the musical element. Yeah. What I find interesting is that they hired a different animation studio for each of the three songs. And you can tell. Huh. So you you had the pleasure of watching the Brigand song. Yeah, which is all about how if you don't go to school, you become a gang member, I guess. A stinky game. A stinky gang member. A stinky gang member who can't do math or spell. And uh, has to survive off of shoes. Yes. Um, Yeah, that that old chestnut. Not Not, not the fun way. One of... So I I showed you the worst one because, of course, I did. Yeah. Um, The other two songs are very bland. No. But not as... One, not as obnoxious. Two, not as poorly drawn. In fact, one of the three songs, and I, I did a double take when I saw this because I'm like, this doesn't look like it's that bad. Like the other two songs, you can tell clearly where they added shit in from other animation studios. Yeah. Or, or recorded or made connective tissue. But one of the three was done by Don Bluth's company. Ah, okay. Um, so like the song's stupid, but the animation doesn't look too bad. It's hmm. still not as detailed as Williams. But it's it's not the eyesore that was eight burly men drawn in chicken scratch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which if that was the whole movie, it'd be fine. But yeah, so that was released limited market. Uh, not satisfied with destroying the movie enough, Miramax bought the rights to the U.S. release, mm. which is perplexing because Miramax is was owned by Disney. That had released yeah, Aladdin. That's already. That's weird. That's very weird. It's very weird. It didn't pay off. <laughs> at no, at of all. course it didn't. Um, so Hell, they, maybe that was just by design. I I don't. I can't think of the reason why you would buy a movie. One, they bought it and then they changed it. They changed the title mm-hmm. from The Princess and the Cobbler to Arabian Night. Singular. Right. Singular. Yeah. Um, there's no. There's no night. There's no night in this. No. No, they, oh. well, so at the beginning of the Miramax version, uh-huh. there's like a little narration that's like, there were blah, 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 number of, of Arabian Nights. This is the story of one of them. Apparently that is tech. Um, it's stupid. No. <laughs> it's crack response. <laughs> um, so... The most egregious thing that the Miramax company did was mostly to women. But in this movie. <laughs> see our previous episode. See our previous episode. 
the there are two characters in the film. Again, I've said they don't talk. They were specifically inspired by famous silent film actors like Charlie Chaplin, yeah, Buster Keaton. The parallels, Lloyd. the parallels, incredibly obvious, especially given tax character design at the beginning of the film. Yeah, the way he's like practically just straight up black and white. Like he's, yeah, which he, is hilarious. It's very funny. He's he is. Straight up European pale for like 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 near albino white for a good portion yeah. of the movie, and then starts getting more and more tan until he is like straight up like black. Yeah, by the <laughs> by his d- dark brown skin yeah. at the end of the movie. Like, there's a journey here, and and like because it's Williams, it's so slow, slowly progressing. Yep, that like you, I mean, you would notice you it. notice it, but it's also not jarring. No. And it's, it's because he's a cobbler, so he spends all of his time inside yep. cobbling. And then uh, he has to go out into the, the desert to find the the not genie. Yeah. Um, and gets a little sunburned. Anyway. <laughs> God. And there's this – so he doesn't talk. But what he does have is he, he has, like, these two tacks in the corner of his mouth. Right. So you kind of see, like, what's happening with his mouth through that most yeah. of the time. So – they almost are like clock hands where depending on his, his emotion, they'll change to either be a smile or a frown or like confused, whatever. Yes. It's a really clever way of, of showing emotion. Both both like a cool character design choice and also yeah, like very simple, effective um just display of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so the Weinstein saw that and they're like, well, that's nobody's gonna understand that. Let's have Matthew Broderick record non-stop monologue over top of the entire movie that's so stupid and such a waste of matthew of matthew broderick's time like <laughs> they they did i think it was they had tony collette revoice yum yum which is like works there but. yeah sure i mean I, um, I love tony collette but what i do like is that every single version of the film was like Let's not touch Vincent Price's performance. This is Don't too good. Don't you fucking dare. No. I'd be so mad. I want to say it's technically his last film, but that's because it was released, you know, so long after he passed. Yeah. The other, uh, for the thief, they use um, two different actors. One one in the, the Calvert cut and then uh, Jonathan Winters in the Miramax cut. Right. Who like. I like his voice. It was Eddie Carroll, I think we saw it was yes, in the in the Calvert yes. cut. There's absolutely no reason to have it. He just talks nonstop. I think they just sat Jonathan Winters down in a recording booth, just played riff. the movie, and he just riffed the entire time. Because there's a lot of time he's just talking about like what's happening on screen. Yeah. Um, I remember you played a little bit of it for me. He was like, just talking about the flies and when all these flies go away. Yeah. It's like that is the least interesting thing you can have anyone fucking do for for a for a voiceover role. Yeah. Like stop stop it's it. It's so lazy. Um, and the, the character just works so much better if he's silent. He's he's supposed to be roguish and secretive. Yeah. Like, I think, and th- this this happened multiple times with Miramax, where they would buy either a foreign film or an art film, assume the audience wasn't smart enough to get it, and then insulting, try to, which is insulting, and self fulfilling prophecy. Yep, as we've talked about, as before. we've talked about. Yep, and recut it so that it looked closer to. Yeah, basically Aladdin. He he basically saw this and was like, let's just make it Aladdin. Because it is Aladdin. Hey, D- Disney, you mind if we copy your homework? <laughs> yeah, it's like Disney copied from them and then, then they copied from Disney. It's oh, God, stupid. It a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So 
That version, Arabian Night, was released in 510 theaters, where it grossed a total of, and I hate numbers, $319,723. I didn't even break a million. Would you like to know what the overall estimated budget was for the movie at this time? Sure. $24 million. Oh, God. Fuck. Yeah. Hell of an investment there, Hart. Oh. But here, <laughs> there's one. There's one more shit cherry on the shit pie. Oh my god, you just have to keep hurting me. When the movie was finally released on DVD, would you like to guess how it was released? Unceremoniously, incredibly so. <laughs> in fact, in a box of Fruit Loops. No, are you fucking kidding it me? It was the cereal box prize, in a box. Of Fruit Loops. So I just learned something um, just, Fruit Loops? Just yesterday. No, not about Fruit oh, Loops. Uh, are you familiar with the, with the show Hey Arnold? Yeah. Yeah. So the last season of Hey Arnold got released on Nickelodeon in unceremonious, unannounced, like, drops. There were like 20 episodes released over the course of five huh. years. That's so strange. So they 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 had a plan because the show was so fucking popular yeah. that they 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 were going to give uh, the creator uh, two opportunities for a movie: one for TV, one for theaters. Sweet. But Nickelodeon jumped the gun and decided to re- decided to push the made for TV one to theaters. So it's um, not theater quality. It's not as thorough or long of a story that you'd want to see from a theatrical release. Right. So it flops hard. And it flops so hard that they just abandon any support for the show at that oh point. It is, it, it's truly bizarre. And, like, they did eventually get to do that second movie, mm-hmm. but it was, like, years and years and years down the road releases, like, you know, you go, hey, this is our nostalgic reboot or whatever. Okay. Th- this... Cereal box bullshit is more insulting than that. <laughs> like, dear God. It really is. Um, 30 years of work released inside a fucking kid's cereal. And, like, the disc looks like somebody burnt it on their home computer. Oh, my God. Like, it didn't even have, like, artwork. Uh, like, no, like well, decent it had artwork. a toucan on it. Toucan Sam. And then the logo Fruit Loops. And then the Arabian Nights logo was, like, half cut off. My heart is breaking. Holy shit. Like. So because of this and because of the entire thing, Richard Williams refused to discuss what was essentially his life's work. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ever again. Yeah. That. Holy fucking shit. Even going so far as to not cooperate in the documentary, The Persistence Vision. I. I, I read one place. I don't know if it's true, but I read – he used to give like animation seminars. Sure. Um, he would hire a, bar, a bodyguard to remove anybody who tried to talk to him about – I don't know if that's true. I read it one place. It's not substantiated. Wow. But it wouldn't surprise me. And like, also wouldn't feel terribly unjustified. I Oh, man. I – I – Tyrannical practices or no, like, like right now, I feel so fucking bad for like that, like to have something that you cared about that much 
put that much fucking work and effort into to have ripped from your hands and then dropped unceremoniously into a fucking box of cereal. With his life's work behind him, he did the only thing he could, which was show his love of animation through seminars and specifically a book, a series of books called The Animator's Survival Kit. And what that is, is, you know, how earlier I was telling you, he collected, he basically collected these old masters. Yeah. Everything that he had learned from them. And they're they're long dead at this point. Yeah. Um, Everything that he learned from them and everything he knew, he put into the animator's survival kit. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, That book is still widely considered the, like, Bible of animation. Um, It's taught anywhere you learn animation, you're going to have that. It wasn't the masterpiece he set out to make, but it has, I would say it's probably had more of an impact on animation as a whole than even the Thief and the Cobbler would have. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm glad that he at least got to like put his mark on, mm-hmm. on the industry, on the art at that level that he, there's just that, like imagine, imagine if. Like, we're both, like, absurdly large fans of the Venture Brothers. Incredibly. So. And the, the like, if, you, if you're if you a fan of that show, you you know, I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you've been a fan of that show for, like, years, you know what it's like waiting for a season of that show to release. Because <laughs> after, like, season three or four, there were just these long gaps because it's literally two dudes with their heads so far up the ass of their own continuity. Uh working on this and like given they did like put the animation out to like studios to work on but to actually get to that point it took so fucking long and they did do a lot of in-house stuff to like mock up how things are going to look and they did a lot of hand-painted backgrounds and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth it's just there's so much fine-tuning and like passion Going into that project, if they didn't have somebody uh, like Mike Lazo fighting for them at, at Adult mm. Swim, while he did, you know, pretty noteworthily fuck over some other shows like Metalocalypse and whatnot, but this, you know, besides the point, like, like imagine if they had to send fucking Art Pinkertons in to deal with Jackson and Doc, like, and <laughs> I like, don't want to think about that. It yeah, makes me so sad. Yeah, seriously, like that, like that, like that show is a. a Fucking masterpiece of animation. Canceled too fucking soon, in my in my opinion. Looking forward to that movie. I can't wait to see the fucking movie this year. I'm I'm glad that it's having a conclusion of some sort. Yes. I'm it, glad yeah, they're getting that opportunity at least. But I want it to just keep going. Yeah. I but like the idea of some of like somebody from Cartoon Network or Warner Brothers or whoever coming in and just seizing their materials and yeah. just like deciding for them what that's going to be and then having having it just fall into obscurity man you're not gonna like where this is headed <laughs> i know i mean I, I i i i i have a feeling i should say but one last note on the animator's survival kit yeah there have been like a number of notable animators who've said like oh yeah that taught me everything i know so that's good Sure. Nice. I, I'm literally going to look up how much a copy is after we get done here. <laughs> uh, as of 2013, it is available on iPad. <laughs> 
It also, I think you can either get the book or you can get the 16 volume DVD box set. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather have the book. <laughs> yeah, me too. 16 volume. Jesus yeah. Christ. Did he hand animate that too? Well, there's a logo. <laughs> there's like a, a really lovely logo uh-huh. and it took nine months to animate. No, that tracks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, not surprised. Um, Williams died of cancer in uh, August uh, of 2019 at his home in Bristol, England. Um, he had been working on an animated feature called uh, ba- based on uh, Lysistrata. It was never finished, but the prologue entitled Prologue was nominated for an Academy Award. Knowing that his film would never be finished, this Lysistrata, yeah. he is quoted as saying, it's the doing of it that matters. Do it for the love of it. That's all there is. So that's the end of Richard Williams' story. But the Thief and the Cobbler, we still have a little bit more to go. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Let's break for commercial so I can go throw up. I'm the Geeky Dad. And we're the Multiverse Kids. And sometimes we review movies, shows, or books. But all the time, we have fun. Join us every week and um, listen to our show. And sometimes we might even have a special guest. So join us at the Geeky Dad Podcast. The the movie's initial release, done. Done. It's done but people realized that they had something really special here even if it was an incomplete project yeah Uh, one of those people was roy disney real oh yeah okay i didn't realize that an actual disney was gonna get involved at this stage yes uh in the year 2000 roy disney started work on restoring the film huh michael eisner famously ousted roy disney so he had no interest in restoring this project because course, why would he? Why would he? Yeah, um, th- it reminds me of this uh, Salvador Dali short that um, I think I think it was Roy Disney as well. There, uh, Dali was going to collaborate with Walt on this sh- short. I vaguely remember hearing something about De- this. Destino. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Roy did actually. I think it was Roy. I might be wrong there, but it did eventually come out. Oh, cool. Um, it's gorgeous. It's um, real, real short. It's weird because, you know. Because Dolly. It's Dolly. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. I have never actually seen it. Yeah, it's good. Um, didn't make them any money, though, because why would it? Uh, oh, yeah, of course not. Similarly, well, this probably wouldn't make them any money, so why would Eisner have any interest in it? Look, if people only did things because they make it, because they make the money, we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now, and we also never would have done half of the movies we've made. Yeah. I, and by half, I mean all. <laughs> I don't know if this is true or uh, or who even said it to me, but I remember hearing somewhere that none of Wes Anderson's films really make money. People just fund it because they're worth making. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Which uh, is, a, is, is a vibe we'll get to soon. Cool. Um, so Roy did eventually get brought back into the business, but – his efforts to restore the film ended when he died in 2009. Of course. Yeah. So the Damn. true restoration of, of this movie started in 2006. And this is with animator Garrett Gilchrist, 
Garrett um, Gilchrist. Yeah. I'm actually not familiar with his personal work, just what he's worked on for the, the Thief and the Cobbler. Okay. Um, he began to collect and restore the film according to William's original vision based on the, um, the bootleg. So is this what became the recobbled cut? This is what became the recobbled cut. Ah, okay. Seeing what he was doing, he got support from other animators who worked on the actual film. Oh. When the movie was seized by the whatever the Bond company was, they threw away a bunch of shit. Well, of course they fucking did. The animators literally are pulling it out of the garbage to save it. Good. Fucking good. Yeah. And I th- I want to say Fred Calvert did have some as well that he did not throw away. I, I would hope. Like you um, said, he actually did have some love for care. the project. Um, and he gave whatever he had to Gilchrist. Good. Okay. Amend for being a fucking art Pinkerton. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a what a weird just <laughs> character. <laughs> so Gilchrist released every time he did like a significant amount of work on the film, he released a new version. Sure. Calling it like Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Three. Um, oh, that's why it's Mark Four yeah. on YouTube currently. Okay. Uh, I think when I, I originally heard about this and was watching it, I was wa- I watched Mark Three. Okay. In 2014, he re- released the latest cut, which is Mark IV. Um, if you go and watch it now, that's that's the version you'll see. Hmm. Uh, I was curious to know if he was still working on it because it, it's – at this point, he's been working on it for so long that it's like I imagine you've gotten all that you're going to get. Yeah. And like – and he's restoring some of it just by like drawing it by hand himself. Which um, is a huge undertaking. Oh, my God. Yeah. But then I, I checked his – um, I'm guessing he has a blog or something. He, he has a Facebook. He's he's not great with technology. Um, <laughs> man, of, man of your own heart. I don't know why in my head he was just like some young buck. But then I heard him talking like, oh, you were also like an old dude. In February of this year. Yeah. He made a YouTube video basically saying like, hey, happy 10th anniversary-ish, kind of, for the um, Mark IV. Yeah, we're getting close. He would like to release what he refers to as Mark 4.2 because it's not enough new material to release as like a Mark 5. Sure. But he does have some new material that he's been able to dig up and would l- like the help of animate some some professional animators to help implement it into the film. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I I did me- put a message on, his, on the YouTube page and – what can us non-animators uh, contribute? And have you considered like a like a Kickstarter fundraiser? Like it feels like that's the kind of project that could actually get some backing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no response yet. But uh, Please again, keep, yeah, I d- I'm gonna keep keep on it. But also, I don't think he's great with technology. Yeah. But that kind of brings us back around to where we started, which is. We've both watched the Recobble Cut at yes. this point. It's available on YouTube. Please, 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 please check it out. Please watch it, yes. Um, even if you don't watch the whole film, I would specifically – the scene that made me fall in love with this project, aside from just being drawn to tragedy, <laughs> uh, artistic tragedy, uh, is the scene where Tack chases the thief through the palace in these like Escher-esque – Oh, my God. It's so good. Um, there's all these like geometric designs mm-hmm. that they're running through that you think are just palatial decor, yeah, and like you know throwbacks to like various art movements and whatnot. And then it turns yeah. out that they are moving through them dimensionally. It's yeah. just like they take all these unexpected twists and turns and pitfalls, and it's so fun. There's this one where 
there's one part where Tax running to the left. He does like a cartoon like skid to skid stop and turn the other way. Yep. And the tiling behind him are these little pinwheels that are spinning in a circle. And then when he stops and goes the other way, they start to spin and go in the other direction. Huh. And I'm like, you didn't need to do this. No. There was no re- – like it was it was impressive enough that you were drawing each of these bricks. But then you had to do this like extra flipbook style animation at the bottom of these tiles that like – unless you're really paying attention, you're not going to see. Right. Yeah. That is – oh, my God. It's wild shit, man. But – as it exists right now, I think it is it's pretty watchable. I think I told you about watching uh I forget what year it came out, but Metropolis, the the silent film. Yeah. Um and there is not currently a 100% complete cut of it. There was a when I watched it in school, it was like 85% found. Oh wow. So there were like entire chunks which just like title card, character what? does this. Uh and then for some reason there was a there was a cut found in Argentina of this uh, mm. famously German German film mm. f- f- from pre Nazi Germany. Mm. Anyway, um, because of that uh, well preserved, mysteriously found film canister in Argentina, we now have like a ninety nine percent finished film, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I don't mind watching movies like that. It sucks. That they don't have more of this done, but it's it's still very watchable. It is, yeah, because it's not because you don't even get like the title card treatment like that. Like it's like like no. I, like we said in the beginning, like it's literally like sketch work and storyboards mm-hmm. and unfinished animation cells yeah. and things like that. So it gets a little bit choppy because it becomes you know more like still images applied. Yeah. But there is there is even some like just like uncolored animation that gets thrown in as well. Yeah. Like it's not it's it's not. As jarring as it very well could have been. If I had watched the the bootleg cut, I feel like that would have been probably a bit much yeah. to get through. This is very watchable. And I don't think we'll ever get a 100% finished version. I hope we do. It would be amazing for that to happen. I, would, I, I, I doubt it too, though. I mean. Uh, especially once I heard Garrett Gilchrist. I'm like, oh, you were also an older dude. Yeah. I mean, um, hey, maybe somebody picks up the torch after after him, though. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It, it And because he is still working on it, it is still considered to be the longest film mm-hmm. to still be in production. Yeah. <laughs> From 1964 till to now. now. That's literally uh, – we're coming up on 60 goddamn Jesus years. Christ. Like that's, that's two mad gods. <laughs> <laughs> that's two mad gods worth of, of work, <laughs> and that is where we stand with the thief and the cobbler as of right now. Amazing, that is a, a heartbreaking, but also like twinkle of hope at the end there. And Richard Williams did get to see one of the. I, I he would have seen Mark either two or three. So okay, he so he so he was able to see it and like. Did comment one way or the other I, on it, which I don't blame him. I'm sure he didn't, but I I have to imagine that it's bittersweet as it yeah. might have been. There's still a bit of there's still that hint of sweetness. Yeah, that had to feel good to some extent. Yeah, and it's not entirely unheard of for a movie. I mean, again, Metropolis, where you have a movie that's not completed for however many decades, uh, and then it it finally comes out in some kind of completed form. There are other animated projects that have been 
lost the time or, you know, um, I'm sure we'll do an episode on lost films at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it'll be completed, but I I have hope. If if you if you are somehow a person with a ton of money, um, give it to us. But if you don't give it to us, <laughs> give it to give it to Gilchrist, Gilchrist, so he can finish the Thief of Cobbler. Yes. And then to wrap up this episode, I would like to have an existential crisis with Joe. <laughs> I think that's probably going to be necessary because. Uh, <laughs> As I mentioned <laughs> while we were on break there, uh, just the story of what the fuck happened to William's work there, uh, just <laughs> I I wrote I titled the section "The Artist's Conundrum" or how Jack invented Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have that conversation while we were we drinking did. the other day. We did. I think Steve pointed out, like, yeah, you actually you you, just, you basically just invented Patreon. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's like a cracked sketch where they're like talking about, hey, we should do this and this and this and this and this. It'd be a fantastic show. And then they're like, we just wrote The Wire. Yeah. <laughs> I miss old cracked. Yeah, me too. Uh, what was the incredibly upsetting, depressing thing you were going to tell me? Oh, yeah. So speaking of, you know, animation getting left in uh, left in the dustbin, mm-hmm. uh, something – there was a, a project that got brought up in the midst of some Twitter discourse – just recently mm-hmm. um did you know that sony pictures had been working on a medusa animated feature in the uh like the mid 2010s you know not until two o'clock this afternoon <laughs> god damn it <laughs> when i saw a clip of the animation some of the yeah there's a little bit a little bit of a pencil test that yeah. james baxter had done I'm not familiar with James Baxter. Uh, he's throw throw a dart at like a list of animated films from the past twenty he's years. He's probably worked on it. I know uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda jumps okay. uh, jumps to mind if I'm not mistaken. He's got he's got a lot of credits. I think I saw Adventure Time. Maybe. I believe he's done some Adventure Time. Yes, actually, there's a character named James Baxter in Adventure Time. <laughs> If I remember correctly, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole episode. There's a whole episode about that about this character. Man. I forget. Watch Adventure Time. It's fun. I, I need to. I don't. It seems yeah. like a thing I, I would enjoy. I'm way behind. Like I've only seen like a small chunk of what's out from it, but from what I've heard, it gets real good the further you go in. Um, nice. But yeah, so that pencil test got put out on Twitter, and uh, a lot of people were really fucking mad yeah. that we didn't get it. Do you know why people were particularly mad? Why? Do you know what movie uh we got instead? Yeah. I don't know when this was supposed to come out, but 2017, Jack. Oh god, I don't I don't know. Uh Brave. I guess that would have been computer animated though. Well, it did it it did get replaced with a computer animation, Jack. What? What did we start this season with, Jack? Shut the fuck up. The emoji movie. No! It was the fucking emoji no! movie. <laughs> Why? Why would the what the, <laughs> the those are not those are not <laughs> same thought. <sighs> I know. <laughs> I'm so bad. Is this Sony? Yeah, it was Sony. Fuck you, Sony. Yeah, it was fucking Sony. <laughs> Just... 
I'm sorry to hurt you this way, but also you just threw that entire episode at me. <laughs> oh. You really Una reverse carded. Me. I kind of did. I'm sorry. Um, I'm gonna make it better. I'm gonna make it better. You mentioned we want okay. we were gonna talk about the newly the newly announced um Bugs Bunny, Bunny movie. Yes, I'm actually excited about this. Okay, and and th- I I have some reasons why. So, are you familiar with the YouTuber Patrick Willems? Not off the top. Of my head. He's he's a film YouTuber. He does he's done some you know thorough analysis about uh you know, about several films over several years. Uh, recently even started like putting up videos about like hey here's how to talk about film and sound like you know what you're talking about. Here's how to make a movie. Huh. He actually just released nice. a feature film of his own last year. Um, yeah, pretty cool guy. He recently did a move or recently did a video about uh, about Space Jam: A New Legacy. A movie mm-hmm. we are inevitably going to be covering at some point because mm-hmm. we had to watch it. We had to watch it, and might as well create some content out of it. Yeah, we we have to get something out of that. That movie still makes me so angry. Uh, but he talked about he talked about how not only that movie sucks, but how the original Space Jam is also awful. I I, I, saw, I haven't rewatched it since the childhood, my childhood, and I I, I don't intend to. I haven't I haven't rewatched it since college, and I okay. I was probably very drunk at the time. Seems like the best way to rewatch. Yeah, that. yeah. Honestly, so one of the fundamental things that he points out in this video is that the one of the biggest reasons these movies are bad is they fundamentally misunderstand the Looney Tunes. Okay, because they make them chummy. They're all friends in a community, and it's like. These are um, characters no. that have actively tried to shoot each other for decades. <laughs> Elmer Fudd's a piece of shit. Elmer Fudd's a fucking hunter. <laughs> he is actively trying to murder Bugs Bunny on a constant basis. Which he, actually reminds me, that might be why Roger Rabbit works so well, is the the tunes are <laughs> competing against, especially the Warner Brothers and Disney tunes, yeah. are constantly competing against each other. The whole the whole dueling pianos, dueling pianos? between yeah. D- Daffy and Donald outstanding yeah yeah that kind of nature is like completely lost in hmm. in uh, in these movies but warner brothers despite several attempts to make looney tunes based television series yeah. in the past couple decades and just missing the mark entirely because they're making like typical sitcom fare hmm. uh, office spin-offs which the muppets also did on uh, on on disney uh yeah or, or not even spin like office like like homages or spoofs sure. or whatever. They have finally on HBO Max or you know maybe it's maybe, you know, maybe it's rebranded to Max by the time you listen to this. Um, great comic book by yeah. the way. Max the Max the Max. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the Max. If you can, this is so far <laughs> off. If you can find another animated great, uh, the like '90s MTV like I think it was the. MTV Liquid something something. Oh yeah 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 yeah. That's um, like, like what Aeon Flux originally. Yeah, aired Aeon Flux on. was yeah. uh, same block. Mm-hmm. They did like a twenty episode, The Max. Each episode was like ten. minutes. Oh, this sounds vaguely yeah. familiar now. Incredibly uh, dark. Yeah, entertaining as all get out. It's a phrase That's... I've never said. Yeah. Until now, thank you, The Max, and not <laughs> Max, formerly HBO Max. Yes, please go on. So, buried somewhere on HBO Max right now is a new series of Looney Tunes shorts mm-hmm. that are in the spirit of the old cartoons. Like it is the old antagonistic matchups of characters and the and like that style of visual okay. storytelling, just with you know updated animation and like no and without guns. Like they find they find right. ways yeah, they yeah. find ways to do it without guns recall. this time. 
and for, for, I haven't watched them yet, but from what I've from what I've heard, they're actually good. Shit, I'll watch them after we're done. Yeah, and so they're so if they're doing that well, mm-hmm. finally, and they've announced this movie, and it's specifically Bugs Bunny, not yeah. Looney Tunes at large. That gives me a little bit of hope. Like maybe they've learned. Maybe they maybe they're actually going to lean in to what makes Bugs work as a as a as a feature character. Resurrect. Or, or find the ghost of Chuck Jones. Oh my God! And let him make a movie in the year of our and Lord. After he also resurrect the ghost of Mel Blanc. Yes, yes. <laughs> find those two ghosts. Yes. So let's bring this back down a little bit. Let's bring it back down. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> We're getting a little too happy and excited here. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm completely for a live action animation mixed film with bugs bunny yeah i if yeah if they actually like are true to who bugs is supposed to be as a character great so a couple things i wanted to talk about um we've, we've kind of throughout talked about our feelings on <laughs> what happened to the thief and the cobbler yes a uh, bad bad very bad I, I, like i felt my heart sink into the pit of my stomach <laughs> whenever you brought when you like oh god like i've like i've never cried on stream before and i felt like i could feel myself welling up it was like holy shit <laughs> when i watched three cobbled cut there's a couple scenes where i'm like so beautiful yeah the artist conundrum Mm. so he refused richard williams refused to do anything but perfection yeah and because of that the movie was never finished the art was never finished part of me really hates to say this but it feels a little bit like Mm. self-sabotage like the uh, equal parts of me are like you're awesome. You're mm-hmm. awesome for dedicating yourself to this singular piece of art. The other half's like, you fucking idiot. Why didn't you do a storyboard? <laughs> that that one kill that one detail kills me. Yeah. Like the fact that he waited until it was too fucking late yeah. to finally do a storyboard. Like, bud, that's and they have some of the people that are were on his team in these interviews, and they're like they're pissed. Yeah. <laughs> They're still pissed about it. I'm sure. Um, that's infuriating. Like, my my, my dude, that, that feels like a rookie mistake. And you're not a rookie at that point. I had this friend, Tyler. He drew this picture of Jack Nicholson from The Shining. <laughs> okay. Because of course he did. Was it like him looking through like the like the yes. axe hole in the door? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and he, I remember him telling me the story about how when his mom got it, uh, I think laminated is the word I'm looking for, he had a he had his own mental issues. He had a mental breakdown. Oh, geez. because he could so no she, longer tweak it. Right. She wanted to preserve it, but he, in his eyes, it's not done. Correct. Yeah. Um, because he'd been like tweaking it, tweaking it, tweaking it, tweaking it. Well, now he would no longer be able to. Yeah. Frozen in time. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no. There's no salvaging that. Getting that out of the laminate at that point. Yeah. I th- think what he was trying to convey versus what I took out of it, different things. There has to be a point, Mr. Lucas, where you let go of when the art is done. Yeah. If it's not... I wasn't expecting to talk to George Lucas in this episode, <laughs> but here we are. I, I I don't know. I don't know which side I fall on because me, me, I, if I were to continue to work on, say, American Curse. Yeah. Forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Part of me is like... What I would leave behind, that film I would leave behind, would be this, like, crystallized perfection, or as close to perfect as I could get it. But also, I've deprived the world of how many knife pickers, because I spent so much time (laughs) on American Curries. 
Um, and you've got a lot of knife breakers. I've in got the a, life, a lot of knife breakers in me. <laughs> um, like how many films did Richard Williams not get to work on? Or, I mean, he never completed a full feature film. Yeah. Because he was such a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's noble, but stupid, but noble, but, but stupid. stupid. <laughs> it's uh, repetitive and redundant. Yeah. Also repetitive and redundant. And redundant. <laughs> uh, so what do you think? Cause I don't know, man. I, I like stare at myself in the mirror for a minute. Cause yeah. that has been my biggest problem as an artistic person for, for, for years is just horrific perfectionist streak and a virulently negative inner critic. Yeah. Like that, I I beat myself up so fucking hard. If I am not able to like one for one, get whatever's in my head out onto that page, which is really, really hard. It's so fucking hard to do. Like, like, you see experienced artists sometimes say like, no, if you you have it in your head, you can put it down on the paper and just fine. It's like, yeah, no, you're, you're neglecting the like hours of work part to like get it done. And there's all the points in between there where it's real hideous and ugly and you haven't gotten it just right. And it kills your fucking soul for a, for a yeah. little while until you finally start to break through and make some progress. And suddenly, no, you realize you're going in a different direction and the picture of your head changes. And then you have to, it's a fucking nightmare. Art's fucking hard. <laughs> Like, there's this image that Scott and I will send to each other every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about editing a film project. Yeah. And it's like the way you feel about yourself in, in the kind of secular process of I, this sucks. I suck. I should die. Yeah. This is okay. This is kind this, of awesome. This is, kind of, this yeah, is great. This is great. Uh, <laughs> and, and that no matter how many times you've worked on a film, mm-hmm. you always go through that process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and you kind of get to a point where you have to, and this is said over, like it's, it's a cliche at this point, you have to trust the process where, you know, we, we've been editing American Curse and there are points where I'm like, this sucks. I suck. Yeah. <laughs> and, and triply so because I wrote it. I directed it and I acted in it. Yeah, no, you had you did all of that. You did uh, everything. Not by choice. It was not entirely a masturbatory project. No, no. That you 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 stepped in out of necessity at the last minute yeah. to fill a role. That is yeah. Um, but there you know, we're editing it and I'm like I feel like I should hate myself now, but I also know that like once we tighten the scene, once we color graded i don't know why but color grading it always makes me feel so much better it's such a it's such a noticeable difference it's it's something that makes that makes all that work so much more tangible yeah whenever you whenever you see that new that that new shot essentially like it it makes it makes it feel shiny and new it's like it's like a new toy it it goes from feeling like an amateur project to a, a somewhat professional project yeah yeah it's like oh i polished this yeah this that feels that feels like a culmination. Let's move on to the next part of feeling like shit. Sure. Uh, or as I call it, free therapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there are individuals who've dedicated their entire lives to their art. And part of me is – one of the, like the, the, the through lines of this season is like Jack and his relationship with his art. Yeah. And I've I've kind of reached – 
there's a really rough point there, like right around like December, January, where I was just like not doing mm-hmm. so hot. Yeah. Um, in general. No, but you, it, you had a particularly rough winter. It was a rough yeah. fucking winter. I'm thrilled that you're on the other side of that now. <sighs> Me too. Yeah. That sucked. So I've reached this existential point where I'm like, no longer is the end goal me becoming like famous from my art, which yeah. was never the point to begin with. It's, sure, it was sure. just, I want to be able to make a living off of my art. Well, I've downgraded my expectations <laughs> to, instead of making my art well known to the greater population, finding the thing that makes me happy specifically while I was in undergrad mm-hmm. and I was able to specifically write and direct my own plays. Right. Right. And there, my therapist and I identified this very specific moment in time mm-hmm. where I was like the happiest of uh, creating this art. And I had done this. I've, I'm, I've talked about it before on the podcast about doing an adaptation of Alice in Wonderland that was titled saving Alice. Yes. And specifically there was a, there was several times this happened where it was not an easy to understand show. It was never meant to be. It was like talked about all of all of the shits that I had in my head uh, and not in a terribly linear fashion. Sure. Which people have tend to have a problem with. They can, um, it can be difficult for some folks. So the show would let out and the way the studio was set up, you had the main entrance uh, and then you had the classroom that was attached next door. And the classroom is mm. typically where like costume changes would occur. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lobby right outside. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with this space. I've actually done poetry readings in that space. Yeah, it's, I love that space. Yeah. I, I miss it. Actually, actually I wrote a, I wrote a one act play that was performed in that space. Nice. After the show would end, the actors, if they were good, good little actors would go and remove their entire costume and makeup before they would go out to see the, the audience that was waiting for them in the lobby. Right, right. That was not all, that was not a given. An audience did not always wait in the lobby for a sh- post show. In fact, there were some shows that you ran away because you didn't want to have to face <laughs> uh, the the actors or the yeah. director or whatever. My shows, they always waited. Huh? The audience would come out, or the 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 actors would come out. They would greet their audience. I I never felt like the director should be out there during that time. That's the actor's time. Hmm. But I still wanted to feel that energy. So I would, like a creep, wait on the other side of the studio doors that were closed um, and just hear the rumble, you know, the audience talking, um, you know, the, the, the energy that they're giving off. Um, I'm able to hear. I'm able to feel through the wall. That was the reward for me for doing a show was feeling that audience's interaction. And there was also like points during the show. I was like, oh, they laughed at a joke that I wrote or like, oh, they were scared at a scary thing I did. Sure. Or wrote. That is the place I want to get back to. That's the the drug high that I'm trying to recapture. Yeah. Just the appreciation of putting something on that impacts that, like a small audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been asking a number of of my theater chums some of whom you know yeah how big was the audience seating and man i have never gotten a more varied answer (laughs) like (laughs) like and it's been some years so i get it yeah so i kind of averaged those numbers together and came up with the nice number 60 partially because i just like that number it's a good number yeah um i don't like the number 50 but i like number 60 why Mm -hmm. The f- who the fuck knows? You don't like the kind of 50s gym. I don't. 
I don't know why I'm very, uh, very strong opinion about that. Um, <laughs> so 60 is the number of people in my head. Those are, that is the number of people that I entertained. Yeah. And I was able to feel their energy and they were able to appreciate what I was putting out. Even if they didn't always understand it, they were able to appreciate it. Uh, and we had talked about this on Friday after much drinking and cigar smoking yeah. and a little bit of gay cowboy. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> or Orville Peck, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, forgot, we, I forgot we introduced you to Orville Peck. Yeah. yeah I'm like, I didn't know I would like this, but I, I very like, much do. I was like, gay cowboy, was it? I don't remember there being a gay cowboy. Did we play a game I don't remember what happened? Oh, no, it was Orville Peck. Yeah. <laughs> Which I forgot the name of and then Googled was like, gay cowboy pop music. And it was like, oh, you mean Orville, Orville Peck. Peck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's got like a Johnny Bravo doing an Elvis kind of doing a Roy Orbison voice a little thing. bit yeah um, if you like blended all those voices together <laughs> what a what a, what a comparison yeah uh, anyway so anyway I I said this to you guys I was like I, I want to find that those 60 audience members I want to add them up yes find them have a and, and this is where I was like Steve was like you mean Patreon yeah and I, I was like, close. It's not quite a perfect fit. Okay. Because I want there to be communion there. Um, and I don't know that you quite get that. I think Patreon might be the place to start. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be a good fit for this particular version of what I put out as an artist, which is the podcast. Yeah. Um, it's almost built for that. Well, yeah. uh, but I want to basically art vomit on people <laughs> and have them eat it. <laughs> and be like, mmm, give me more. Yeah. And I will say, with pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I've landed after this year-long journey of hating myself, hating my art, not being able to call myself an artist, then calling myself an artist, but feeling sick about it. Yeah. And I'm like almost over that tummy ache. I still feel a little nauseated by it. And I'm also – and this is the final thing I'm going to say for this episode that's probably gone on way longer than it should have um, – <laughs> why why does this matter why is this important to me joe <sighs> you have to you have to answer this I, giant existential crisis it, man. that i'm assuming you've also had yeah it, it does make me i i, I do wonder because you know i i it's been a very long time since i've had something that i felt happy enough to share outside of like our little writers group yeah. or to submit anywhere. Mm. And like, there's myriad reasons for that. There's, you know, my, my own sense of perfectionism, my own fucking inner critic fucking with me. And, uh, there's trauma from past relationships sure. that were, where like my artistic life was so intertwined with a lot of it. They're like, I don't feel like I can go back to certain things. Like I'll probably never perform poetry in Pittsburgh again. <laughs> Just <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. I'm gonna go beat that person up that I will not name. Yeah. Fuck them. It's fine. I'm going to eat them into a black hole. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And watch them stretch on into eternity, sucking the entire time. That was kind of satisfying, actually. But that's fine. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Not worth your time. Uh, I can hate for the both of us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to get back to a point where I feel like I can do those things. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I have something worthy of people's attention and people's time. And... Why do I want that? Yeah. <laughs> Especially like when I when I look at like how people are treated who have that attention and have that and have that platform. Like 
I almost, I almost kind of get scared of like the parasocial aspects of it, you know, like mm-hmm. the idea of like if I by some stretch of fucking wondrous luck create a thing that gains me some kind of an audience. Oh yeah, that like how like how do I deal with the people who feel like they are entitled to my attention mm-hmm. and time, and how do I deal with the people who are just fucking haters? <laughs> And the just, internet can be incredibly toxic. Yes. Good fucking Lord. Can it ever. May the fourth be with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, but like, why? I don't know if I have a satisfactory answer for like why I want that. And it's just like, there is just something, there's, there's just something like deep down in like the very core of my being that makes me want to create. And... In the world we live in, that is it is extremely difficult to do that without attaching it to the idea of consumption. You know, with the idea of people taking it in and appreciating it, or yeah. throwing money at it, or talking about it and starting discourse about it, like whatever. It's 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 so fucking difficult to like decouple those ideas. That's something that like. One of the last things that Richard Williams was quoted saying is, like, he didn't give a shit who watched it. Yeah. He was creating it to create it. And that's not something I've been able to separate. Yeah. And it's like I, it's like part of me wants to be there where it's just like, no, I'm doing this for me. Fuck everyone else. I will, you know, I, I will do as I please. And the rest of me is like, what if what if it sucks? <laughs> like what? What if yeah. I make it and I look at it and go, ah, fuck! <laughs> like, even before, like I have somebody else read, it, like I just read over what I just wrote. And I'm like, oh, f- fucking hell! I why did I why did I drink while doing this? Or was I drinking while doing this? This is a bunch of garbage, and I just tear it up and throw it away. One of the things I really miss about the studio theater is I would go and watch plays by you know all kinds of artists, all yeah. kinds of writers and directors, and there were plenty I fucking hated, but. I appreciated them because the intent on most of them, because yeah. there were some that were just masturbatory. Well, sure. That's about um, to happen. It's undergrad. Yeah. They all wanted to create something that they were proud of. Mm-hmm. There were plays I watched where I'm like, this is not for me. This is not my thing. I'm not enjoying this. But I can appreciate where the the writer, director, the actors are coming from. The, that's there's plenty especially like music there's plenty of music where i'm like i can tell you're talented or i can tell that you tried really hard i will never like what i've discovered is nightmare jazz uh <laughs> didn't know that existed not for me can appreciate it i like both nightmares and i like jazz mm-hmm. together not so much <laughs> <laughs> my and maybe maybe there isn't an answer maybe there's not a satisfying answer for this but why did Richard Williams sacrifice 30, 40 years of his life, several marriages? <sighs> Why did he look at this piece of art and say, that is important enough for me to, and th- you don't have to do that. There's no, you and, don't have to do that. And I don't, I'm not saying like, man, I wish I sure did. Cause I've, I've had relationships that I've ruined because I've, I feel like, no, nah, the art's far more important. And Scott's been a really good influence on me as far as like, one, safety is the most important thing. Yeah. Two, yeah. you got to finish it at some point. It it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be finished at some point. It, it's like you have to, you have to, you have to, 
I want to say you have to remember, but sometimes you have to fucking teach yourself. And reteach yourself. And reteach yourself. Perfect doesn't fucking exist. No. It's just, and, it's, and your perfect might not be perfect to somebody else. Also that. All of everything, all of this shit is so thoroughly subjective. I forget which of the South Park guys was talking about an episode they wrote that they're like, I don't, please do not air this. And like went home and was like, I'm going to kill myself before it airs. And then it turns out to be like one of the most popular episodes, of course. <laughs> um, like why do we as meat puppets care enough about this thing that we're either willing to sacrifice relationships or our lives or um, I remember watching this interview with the, the director of photography. I think he, he worked with Tarantino talking about like he and he knew he would be terrible to be in a relationship with. So he dedicated himself to the art, which I'm like, good, good for you for, I guess, knowing that you would screw, screw a relationship. Yeah. Like on the one hand, I guess like Bravo on self-awareness, but also yeah. like, holy fuck dude. Yeah. And I feel that's kind of where Williams is coming from or mm. came from. Yeah. And probably should have been well, like aware enough to know, like, Maybe after the second marriage, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> I Like, either that or, like, man, maybe I need to dial it back and, like, reevaluate some of my priorities. Like, maybe we don't have to do 24 pictures per frame. Yeah, like, maybe maybe I can la- maybe I can reevaluate what the threshold of lazy is in terms yeah. of my artwork. But at the same time, I just spent, like, however many hours gushing about how gorgeous his art is. And it is. That's the, that's, that's the thing, is, like, it's both impressive and sad. In yeah. some ways, because yeah. like, like, like the work is objectively an, an incredible achievement. Like the, like the fact that he was able to produce images of that quality with fucking pencils and yeah. paint and markers and whatever else, like that is wild. He was able to look at a piece of paper, and there were there's a scene towards the end where the, the thief is on basically a roller coaster. He's like on a cart. Yeah. And it like spins and comes closer to the camera and then goes away. And there are ways that he could have done that easier if he had the uh, the equipment that basically Disney had. Yeah. He didn't. So he just did it so in he his just head. did it in his head and, he, and then put it on fucking paper. Yeah. That is so much time and effort yeah. and money and – I mean like the, the artist's <laughs> eternal struggle is – Man, if I had more money, this would be easier. If yeah. he had more money, he could have hired more artists, more more animators to work for him. Or he could have not been doing commercials. Yeah. He did Ziggy cartoons. He did Ziggy cartoons? I think so. Yeah, I think huh. he did a couple of animated Ziggies. Jesus. Which is not even a character I recognize, but. I mean, I, read, I, I could pick Ziggy out of a crowd. I could probably do that, but that would yeah. be it. Yeah. Uh, I much prefer that Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> You, you are a Garfield boy. That's true. I am. Uh, so I, I don't know that there's a satisfactory answer for this, but that's kind of where my head is right now. And I'm – with our next season, there's a number of things I want to try mm-hmm. that are stepping very much out of my comfort zone. Sure. I'm, I'm slowly, for better or worse, after the last couple of years of living where we do, giving less of a fuck about the greater audience and caring much more about the audience that's immediately in front of me. Which is you right now. Yeah, um, that's fair. <laughs> and possibly Antonio and Antoni- poss- possibly Emily Gray. Hi, Emily, if you're still here. Hi. Um, if you are, that's a Sisyphean th- feat from the bullshit <laughs> we've talked about. Um, like These are the people I care about entertaining. Yes. In a general. And I want to 
having made it through this winter, both metaphorically and physically, mm-hmm. move forward as an artist with that in mind. So it's the the, the artistic uh, equivalent of being present. Yeah, in term, yeah, basically, in, in terms of your performance. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's so it's not that you're you're striving to achieve a larger audience or attract new people in. You're focusing in on you're focusing in on the people you know are engaged. Yeah. I I spent so it's kind of a similar thing that Kevin Smith went through. Yeah. Uh, where he's like, the studio's trying to gather a larger audience, and that'd be fantastic if more people listened to our podcast or saw saw yeah. my movies. Yeah. I would and, love and that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we that, that we shouldn't want that no, but I'm, like i but i do, i do agree and i'm on the same page with you here that like just creating the best thing that w- that we can so that like the audience of us and like our friends and immediate li- and the listeners we know we have yeah en- enjoy it and can engage i spent so much time during the first season running myself ragged trying to advertise this fucking thing yeah yeah and like i'm we're still gonna advertise and i think there's more we can do or a different way we can do it but more the so that more important thing for me is to make episodes that I'm proud of. Yeah. And I feel like we've we've done a much better job of that this season. I think we've done a pretty damn good job. Yeah. And I there have been people who've gone back and found season one stuff and they yeah. they're really enjoying it. Yeah. I mean just recently a bunch of people or a couple of people have gone yeah. back and listened through like what seems like all of our episodes. So like if you're one of those great. new listeners of the past couple of weeks, thank you. Like welcome. We we're thrilled yeah. to have you. <laughs> I'm not going to go the whole way into it because I do want to save it towards the latter end of our season, which we only have two more episodes after this or two more subjects. After Basically. This. Yeah. Yeah. We have Assassin's um, Creed coming up next week and then, and then blonde and then blonde. Uh, well, I think there's a second unit in between there, but just to tease a little bit because I, I don't want to wait till our last episode to give it away entirely. Okay. But because uh, I want to be able to like get it in people's heads say it sure. over and over and over again. Sure, sure, sure. For our third season, instead of ending the season with our Razzie winner, yes, which we will still cover, we'll still cover. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll still, we'll still do that thing. We have um, we you know, we we have our our grim duty. <laughs> we want to push ourselves, yes, both as artists and podcasters and filmmakers and filmmakers. I was I literally took the words out of my mouth there. We're going to host a film festival. Mm-hmm. And that film festival will be strictly for bad art. Yes. Uh, inspired by an interview given by Willem Dafoe in which he, he says that he wishes more people would intentionally make bad art for a number of reasons. One of those reasons being to make intentionally bad art frees you from the fear of making bad art. Yeah. And it's uh, definitely something I need to engage with uh, more regularly. The number of people we've told this to, because I was like, no one's going to go for this. It literally everyone we've, ta- we've talked to like, about it has been like, that you. rules. Yeah. Like, they've been like, thank you for saying this. And I'm like, yeah, let's just have fun let's and make bad fun. art. Yeah. Let's just fucking um, get weird with it and have some have a good time. <laughs> so... Durazzle will be hosting a festival at the end of. I'm not. I guess it's not even a tease anymore. We're just, yeah, I guess we're just saying, fucking talking about it now. <laughs> um, I'm really excited for it. Uh, we're going to sh- host a short film festival. Uh, yes. Where, whether you are a filmmaker or not, or an artist or not, you're. We're encouraging you to submit a a film, um, of bad art. You just went and you intended to make bad art and you made it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just just a short, just like 10 minutes max. Mm-hmm. And 
probably goes without saying, but but just to cover the bases, like right. no no uh, no racism, no sexism, no homophobia, no transphobia, no xenophobia. Like it's, don't be don't be a dick. Don't yeah. be a dick about uh, or, or, about your short film. Uh, just we're here to create stuff that people are going to enjoy, yeah, and that we could enjoy and just have fun and let loose with. From the date of which we air our final episode from this season, season two, you you will have a year to submit your project. Um, I already have all the the details written out. Um, it'll be available on our website. Yes, um, I'm sure we'll we'll have an episode dedicated to just like going into the minute details of what we're expecting and not expecting. Yes, absolutely. Um, but most mostly we want to one it's on theme for the show. Yeah. <laughs> but we I want to make art and I want to enjoy it. Yes. And I feel like this is a great way to engage with our friends and other filmmakers, our audience. Anybody can be a filmmaker at this point. Most, most anybody. If you yeah. have a phone, if you have a smartphone, you can probably make a film. Yeah, especially if you've gotten one within the past, like a model that was made within the past few years. You probably have an impeccable fucking camera on that yeah. thing. Like, yeah, I and and there are easy to use mic attachments for them that are better than your onboard mic. Just yeah. Five below probably has. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Um, I think we'll we'll probably end up doing an episode on like here's some tips for making your shitty movie. Yes. Um, just so that like I I really want to not just bring our filmmaking friends who do this or our podcasting friends who do this. Well, actually, yeah, I would love to have some podcasters. That oh have yeah. Never made a film before. Make a film. Make a film. You'll have. You've- Fun. You'll probably stress out a little bit. Oh yeah. No, you'll definitely stress out a little bit. Like we we do all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't stopped stressing out since the age of three. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was when I got my bike for Christmas. I was terrified. Uh, <laughs> what am I gonna do with this monstrosity? <laughs> it's like a mechanical horse. Oh no. <laughs> it all goes back to that Christmas. <laughs> I got an Ecto one. And a bicycle. And a bicycle. One of those things was great. The other one's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this has been a really enjoyable episode. Um, yes. I'm looking forward to a lot of cool things to come. Um, thank you for indulging this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, weird obsession I've had with this movie for over a decade. <laughs> I mean, I, I will now be obsessed with it and be looking for updates about potential new, new, uh, new recobbled oh, yeah. versions. And it, it, I, I think four point two will happen, and I'll keep our audience updated on that as well. Hell yeah! Um, would you like to play us out? I well, I would love to. Thank you so much, everybody, for checking this episode out. Uh, we hope you lo- we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed it. We hope that uh, this little impromptu therapy session here at the end here was uh, uh, useful for you as, as, uh, as I think it was for us. So if you enjoyed this, please rate, review the show everywhere you possibly can. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, <laughs> Good Pods, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, please. Sidewalk Chalk. Sidewalk Chalk, uh, Smoke Signals, whatever you possibly think could help get more people in to check us out here. That would be fantastic. Thank uh, you so much. Chaos Magic. Chaos Magic. S- sigils. <laughs> don't get irresponsible with it, but get, be very careful. Pervert magic. Be very, very per- careful with pervert magic. <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at DerazzledPod, Facebook at DerazzledPodcast, 
uh, Instagram and TikTok at derazzled underscore podcast. And you can email us at derazzledpodcast at gmail.com to suggest anything you'd like to see us cover in future seasons uh, or to uh, inquire about the uh, the film festival, which, uh, as we said, we'll have more details of in upcoming episodes. If you're not careful, you can end up with penises for fingers. That, that the less fun than it sounds. It's It, it really is quite cumbersome. I'm so angry. <laughs> you should have come back next time or we'll be sure to razzle dazzle you. <laughs> I, I fire myself. 